this morning, I think this is the finale to Galatians. Now, I've chopped it, my sermon in about half, and you'll know why in, uh, as the service unfolds this morning. Because I'm really big into application. I don't know if you picked that up yet about me when I try to explain God's Word to people. Um, I was trained to have all my points start with the same letter and, you know, all these alliterations. And that's, that's good, I suppose. The bottom line, though, is what I'm gunning for as a pastor, what I'm praying for, is that the Word of God will transform people. So I am really into transformation, not information. I could give you a lecture. I could give you a lot of information today. But unless it penetrates a, peer, a person's spirit and leads to them trying to follow Jesus and Jesus transforming people, it's kind of a waste of my breath and a waste of your time. So I really don't want to do that this morning. So this morning, especially, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of what it looks like to apply what we've been learning about in Galatians. Do you remember the big, the big picture, the big issue in Galatians? So there, there were a bunch of new Christians. Galatia is a, a part of the country of what we call now Turkey. And these, these folks were all Gentiles. They had no Jewish background at all. But the first Christians were all Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The disciples were Jewish. Uh, Paul was Jewish. All those apostles, they were all from a Jewish background. So they started out thinking, ah, to be a good Christian, you follow Jesus, but you keep all these Jewish laws and practices, right? And the big issue was that they, all the, the Jewish males were circumcised Ideally, as babies, when they were about eight days old. That was the way that was generally done. And that marked out that you were special, you were part of God's family, and it just was kind of a boundary. There were other boundaries, too, other laws and feasts that they would observe to remind themselves, hey, we are God's chosen people. But all of a sudden, and all along, all through the Old Testament, if you read it carefully, God was not just concerned with the Jewish people. He was concerned about everybody, obviously, because God loves everyone, he, all his creation. And so he was trying to use, trying to get a hold of the Jewish people to form this motley rabble into some bunch of human beings that would be a healthy spiritual family that would model God's values to the world. But instead of these boundaries being helpful, they, they built walls up against the surrounding uh, nations, and they were very insular and inward-looking. Jesus comes along and says, hey, I'm God, and Gentiles start following Jesus. So there's a bit of a crisis in the church. Well, we all grew up with Jewish laws, and we're all circumcised. What are we supposed to do? And God had to literally intervene with a series of dramatic visions and interventions to get the attention of the disciples and say, guess what? The gospel, the good news about Jesus is for everyone, not just ethnic Jewish people. So here we are in Turkey. These little baby churches are popping up, and people are starting to follow Jesus. And from Jerusalem come a bunch of legalistic Christians from a Jewish background saying, <clears throat> it's great that you follow Jesus, that's good, but really, to really follow Jesus really well, you need to do all this extra stuff. 
And we're held to tell you all the extra stuff you need to keep so you will be grade-A Christians, number one Christians, okay? So that was the issue that was fighting. Imagine, now this may have happened decades ago, but I grew up in a church where the standard dress code was a suit and tie. I was dragged, carried, led, driven, whatever to church every Sunday, and the standard dress code was a suit and tie. To be a good Christian, you wore a suit and tie. And it was kind of simple. Now, it's, you're all breaking the dress code today, most of you. But that's okay. Jesus loves you, I guess. But do you understand? Like, this was more of an issue. This was more of an issue several decades ago. And some of you are commenting on some of you who normally wear ties, and that's fine. You're, we've gone, obviously, to the summer wardrobe. And that's good, because in Winnipeg, we should celebrate the fact that we can wear short sleeves for two months of the year, right? But you understand, it's kind of, I was trying to look for a kind of a, a 20th, not so much 21st century, but a 20th century parallel to the whole idea, the whole issue behind um, circumcision in the church and issues, like what do we wear? We fight over all kinds of goofy things in the church. You know, like I like this kind of music. I like that style of music. I feel comfortable dressed this way. No, you should all dress this way. It's a matter of the heart. That's what Paul is trying to get across. And so anyone who's trying to impose all this extra performance-based religion on people, don't listen to them. That's what Paul's saying. Okay, so that was kind of a quick refresher of what, what the central issue is in Galatians. And Paul is wrapping up in this finale. And are we working here, Sean? Are we plugged in? Ah. I'm going to read you... Uh, the first half of chapter 6 is from a translation called The Message. So it's a little bit, maybe a little bit different, but I like the way the, the English translation flows because um, the translator is trying to get a, across the heart of the original language. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed, share their burdens, and so com complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you are badly deceived. Let's just stop there for a minute and think. If we're super spiritual, if we think we follow Jesus, we have to carefully restore people who are trapped in sin. We can't come across in this judgmental attitude and say, I know what you did, Steve. I saw what you did. And I'm here to correct you. God has sent me, brother, to straighten you out. And you should be grateful. Now, Steve doesn't need that, and he doesn't mind me, I hope, picking on him today. But do you see how judgmental that attitude can be? And what Paul is trying to, to communicate and I, and I say this to, to many of you in private conversations. We're all messed up. We all need Jesus. I don't care how nicely you present yourselves on Sunday morning. And, you know, we all clean up well for Sunday, right? But we put on this facade, this mask, and, and, and we, we have this either inner or outer compulsion to present ourselves in a way where we want to look like we're all together. 
But inwardly, we're broken. We're messed up. We desperately need Jesus. And we desperately need to facilitate an atmosphere of healing and acceptance here at Elam. Not that we condone sin. We don't wink at it and say, oh, well, you know, you know, try harder next time. No. When we mess up, when we fall short, we stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed because sin is oppressive. We mess up, we sin, we fall short of God's standards, and we break ourselves against God's law. And so what Galatians here is saying is that we need to share each other's burdens and so complete Christ's law. It's interesting. These Judaizers, these people who are saying every good Christian's got to be circumcised and follow the Jewish law, they didn't realize that the whole intent of God's law could be summed up in what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That would have saved a lot of ink. It would have saved a lot of ink. But that's it. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Paul's trying to communicate. And when we share each other's burdens, when we support each other, when we help each other get untangled from sin, the sin that impresses us and entraps us, then we're completing Christ's law. Then we're doing what the original Old Testament was supposed to intended to do in the first place. And if we think we're too good for that, we are badly deceived. If we think we're too good to come along someone who's struggling with sin, we are badly deceived. Because, next slide, Sean. Because we are trapped ourselves. So make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. Then sink yourself into that. The idea of careful, the original Greek, the, the idea behind the careful exploration is scrutinize your life. Pay attention. Scrutinize it like a jeweler would look at a, a ring and look at all the facets of the gem just to look at, find any flaws, things like that. Scrutinize your own life. Don't scrutinize Steve's life. That's Steve's responsibility. Scrutinize your own life. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. That's worth repeating. Do not compare yourself with others. Why? Comparing leads to despairing. Why? Because we only see the outside of other people. We don't know what's going on backstage. We don't know the turmoil that people are in, the, the stuff they're facing, and it's not helpful. Do not compare yourself to other people. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with his own life. Okay. Be very sure now that you who have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity, that you enter into a generous common life with those who have trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and experience. In this verse, Paul is saying, if there are teachers among you who are devoting themselves full-time to explaining the gospel, to teaching the Bible, then make sure they're well taken care of. Okay? Next slide. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. Now, we're going to have a little biology lesson. First of all, what is this? Exhibit A. Apple. 
Anybody guess what kind? Hey, very good. I don't know how you read the label from there. I had to look at that. It's a gala or gala, potato, potato. I don't know. It, anyway, it's a gala apple. All right. What's inside the apple? Seeds. Goodness. <laughs> Great A goodness. Yeah. And what's on the outside? Horrific chemicals. Make sure you wash them off first. Okay. Inside, seeds. All right. What are the seeds designed to do? Another apple. What will I get if I plant the seeds? What kind of tree? An apple tree that produces what kind of apples? Oh, not Golden Delicious or Max or Honeycrisp. Anybody had Honeycrisp apples? They will change your life. Okay. All right. Anyway, they will certainly rock your world. They're excellent. Okay. Um, where was I? Okay, so... When we plant an apple seed, we naturally expect to get apples. Okay. But wait a minute. I want a banana tree. And I plant these seeds, and I'm severely disappointed because I was expecting a banana tree. What the dickens is going on? This doesn't make sense. I planted one kind of seed, was expecting different kind of fruit, and what happened? Nobody fools God. Nobody makes a fool of him either. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others and ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. Listen, all he'll have to show for his life is weeds. You live a life that serves yourself. Don't be surprised when weeds start to pop up in your life. And you're wondering, why can't I connect with God? What's going on? I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. Everybody is a problem in my life. What's going on? Life doesn't seem to make sense. I know what I'll do. I'll go get some more stuff. I will numb myself with substances. I will get preoccupied with food or pornography or shopping or, I don't know, something else to numb the pain. I'll figure out something. I'll, it's all about life. is all about me. So when we plant selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, this is what we get. It looks like parts of my back lawn, not very attractive. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, Harvest a crop of real life, eternal life. What does it mean to plant in response to God? What do you think? You tell me. We understand well sowing seeds of selfishness, everything to do with self, self-interest, self-protection, self-aggrandizement. It's a, it's a big way of saying me first all the time. We're very familiar with that. But what do you think it means to plant and response to God. What kind of seeds are we sowing? I'm inviting some audience response, so here's your cue. What do, you, what do you think? Give me some examples of what you think. How, what would it look like for us to plant seeds in response to God? Love, okay. I'm sorry? Caring for others? Helpfulness. Yeah. 
So that means intentional actions devoted to the well-being of other people, right? Investing your time and efforts and money in other people in a way that God would approve of, just as if Jesus himself was doing it, right? That's what we're talking about. And if you do that, you're going to harvest a crop of real life, eternal life. I wish you could all meet my father-in-law, Bob, because he's a cool guy. Um, he's in his mid to late 80s now, right, Luann? But uh, when he was a high school teacher, uh, back when he started out as a science teacher, he influenced, unknowns to him, he influenced a young man who saw Bob's Christian example as a, as a high school science teacher. And this young guy decided to go into the ministry. And he's been in the ministry about 40 years himself. It gives you an idea of Bob's age. But because Bob sowed into that young man's life, that young man sowed into other people's lives. And you see that that harvest there, that's, in his, that, that's kind of how things reproduce. When we sow into people's lives, just loving them, caring for them, doing intentionally unselfish things. And what it is, it's not, we're not working ourselves up to be a good person. We're just naturally responding out of thanksgiving to God, right? Just natural. When, when we get accepted and loved with no strings attached, what are you going to do? Hold grudges? No, that's not what a forgiven person does. A forgiven person loves people that bug them. A forgiven person loves people that they can't stand. A forgiven person starts to love their enemies. And that totally changes. It may not change the enemies, but it changes them, right? So as forgiven people, we start sowing these seeds of love and service and we reap this harvest. It's a beautiful thing. We may not see it all in our lifetime. That's all right. That's okay. When we sow seeds, we don't know exactly when they're going to germinate, but God promises that they will germinate. Next slide, please, Sean. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. The King James has got a really quaint translation of this verse. Uh, and let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time we will reap a harvest if we faint not. So don't faint. Don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. Because what we plant is what we get in life, right? You sow seeds of selfishness, you get weeds. And don't come crying to me if you've got a crop of weeds. Because, well, you can if you want. Uh, that's okay. I have my own weeds to deal with, and I can relate to weed patches. In fact, I realize God was reminding me this morning when I got up that I, it's... I have to keep weeding that patch. It's a miserable job being a preacher. I mean, there are some perks. You, one day, you work one day a week. But on the other hand, you have to deal with this stuff 
it's miserable getting ready to preach a sermon on this when you see what a weedy patch you've got yourself to deal with. But I get a head start on it, I guess. I get a head start on applying the sermon to myself. But friends, I want you to think about this today. What are you going to harvest? What are you sowing in your life? Are you sowing good seed? Are you sowing to, you know, serving God? Or are you serving yourself? And then what, what do you expect to get? Now, we are very fortunate today because I'm giving you an opportunity to sow some good seeds. All right? There's a couple of things I want to make known to you. Um, Justina and uh, Kate have been talking about camp, volunteering at camp with Elam. It's a great way of sowing into the lives of children. And uh, whether you work directly with them or you do things to support, you're sowing stuff that's going to last, probably outlast all of us. You know, if the average person here would invest in the life of a preschool kid or a school-age kid, your influence will outlast your lifespan which is pretty cool. Here's another opportunity. Every Friday, Finding Freedom, who meets here in our building, provides child care for anywhere from 10 to 25 children, ranging in age from infants to 12 years old. And we need people who will help once or twice a month, one or two Friday nights and evening. It could involve holding a baby. Who's capable of holding a baby? It could involve reading a story. Read a story, preferably in English, I guess. Or playing a game with them. Most of these children have already been wounded by their parents and they are already having behavior issues. They benefit greatly from consistent love and boundaries. It's a challenge, but a really cool challenge. So that's an opportunity for us, okay? So there's camp, there's helping with childcare at Finding Freedom, and another um, expanded opportunity that I've invited uh, Tim Story to come from uh, Finding Freedom. Where's that mic? Tim, come on up. This is Tim. He works with uh, Finding Freedom. And I've invited him to come today to explain a new ministry that Finding Freedom is opening in the fall. And it's so important and so strategic, it could be a game changer for many of us here today. Not just for the folks that Finding Freedom help, but for us as well. And Sean's going to be projecting some PowerPoint slides as Tim talks. And he's going to explain why he's here. So, go ahead, Tim. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, uh, I got so into the talk that I forgot I had to say anything because I was just enjoying what he was saying. But I'm going to ask, uh, before I get into the, the actual stuff, because the, the stuff is, is... Tim, hold your mic. This better? <laughs> got to be near the mouth. Okay. I'm not used to this at all. Uh, before I get into the uh, the actual material, I, I need to ask a favor for everybody. Um, I want you to think of something very funny. 
And, and because this stuff, as I was writing it down, all the stuff I had to tell you was fairly serious, I forgot to bring the funny. So I need everybody to think of something really funny and give a, a laugh out loud kind of thing. Can you do that? Come on. <laughs> there we go. A little bit louder. One more time. <laughs> All right. So, thank you. This is, uh, this is very nervous for me, and um, I, I'm not used to doing this, but um, why I asked you to do that was because we all need acceptance. And when you laugh, when you respond to what I'm saying, I feel accepted. And that's, that's very important for everybody, and that's what the gist of this whole opportunity is. So uh, I'm here to talk about the day treatment center that Finding Freedom is developing. And why we're doing it is to provide more support for people suffering from addictions. So within the treatment community, we see a couple fairly big gaping holes that, that we think we can help with. The first is in the area of length of time a person is treated for. So if somebody is getting treated for an addiction, um, with the various organizations that can help, they can piece together a few months, maybe a year, of real intensive good support. But after that, they're kind of on their own. And research shows that uh, for any type of uh, to get any type of solid footing in a recovery or any type of personal transformation process, it takes from three to five years. So the time is not nearly long enough that we're supporting people, and so we want to lengthen that. And the second is that research shows that 90% plus of people suffering from addictions have experienced complex trauma in their environment when they're growing up. Now, people do not typically understand what complex trauma is. And uh, the best way to explain it is that the person is living in an environment where they do not feel safe and secure. So this is an ongoing, consistent type of thing um, <clears throat> where whether it's perceived or real, they're never sure of what's going to happen next. And for what they remember, for their upbringing, what happened next was often very painful. So if you can imagine that type of, living with that type of fear, as you're growing up, it changes the person you are. And in the addictions treatment community, that is not often dealt with. And I think maybe Tamarack recovery is about the only one that really even goes into it a little bit. So that's our, our second focus that we feel we can help with. Uh, can you switch the slide? So we've talked to everybody in the, the or not everybody, but the, the main players in the treatment community and got their feedback on what we were doing. And they, uh, there was two concerns that they had um, or things that they thought we should be watchful for. The first was that we cannot um, either promote or denigrate any religious views because we, that, is, that is showing the person non-acceptance, whatever their personal views are. So if we try to promote our views, then their views feel denigrated, and that, that's not accepted. And the second is that we focus on the person suffering from the addiction. 
But research also shows that without creating healthy relationships, the chances of a person overcoming addiction is zero. So the person's partner and family have to be engaged in the process if it's going to be successful. And so you'll see how we, we plan to do that. Uh, next slide. So in terms of getting your head around what we feel we're offering, think of this in terms of reparenting. That's probably the best way to describe it. So if you think about, if you think about, sorry. If, if you think about what uh, things good parents do for their children, there's really three. One is on for unconditional love. The second is offer exposure to the world with very low risk. And the third is discipline. So if you relate that to processes within a treatment center, when your intake is basically like your son or daughter coming to the parents and saying, Mom and Dad, I need help. Then you go into orientation phase. That's where they say, okay, well, let's sit down. Let's talk about your problem. Let's see what's really, um, what your main obstacles are and how we can help and whether we can help you with those. Um, and then you'd go into really treatment, which is phase one. And treatment is really saying, okay, we think we know how to help you. And if you're willing to help yourself, we think we can make this work. So the, the main assessment you'd be looking for before somebody goes from orientation to phase one is that they have to understand the obstacles they're facing. They have to have the life skills in order to deal with those problems. And they have to prove that they are willing to work on themselves to make their life better. So one of the key assessments is learning to create healthy personal relationships. And so this, this may take a few months, a few years. Um, so the idea of the treatment center is not that you go through a block of time, it's that you go through a personal transformation. So the assessment and the move from orientation to phase one and phase one to phase two and phase two to phase three are all based on how successfully the person is able to ca uh, cope with their own problems. Uh, next slide. Um, so to give you a sense of what a day uh, in a treatment center would look like, uh, they would start off with a, a group meeting in the morning where they were kind of like, let's, let's see what we hope to do today. Um, then they would go into uh, an educational slash learning session where uh, information would be given to them and then there'd be a lot of discussion around that information. Then in the afternoon, there'd be activities that uh, allow them to grow their personal life skills. Um, at the end of the day, there'd be another group meeting where they talk about what they learned that day, good things, bad things, what they're gonna try tomorrow. And then the evening, there'd be social integration, which would be some type of event where everybody goes together, regardless of the phase they're in, and we act as a family. So it could be a night of playing cards. It could be uh, playing basketball. It could be chess club. It could be any of a variety of things that a family might do together. And then on the weekends, that's specifically family time. So that's when they're 
specifically when their partners and families are encouraged to join in, again, uh, what we call family integration. So why am I sharing this with, with you? Well, in case you want to be a part of it. Um, so the core of the program is people helping people. So we all have gifts that we can share. We can all be parent-like. And a funny thing's happened when we share our gifts. We get a great sense of fulfillment, and the person we're sharing them with gets a great sense of fulfillment. So we want to create the opportunity for people to be able to do that. So if you have gifts that give you fulfillment, that give you joy, and you'd like to share them, then we'd like to take that and, and meet that with somebody who would like to receive those gifts. Um, and next slide. So in terms of uh, the standard question is, so what, what do you want me to do? Well, that's really up to you. It's all with, depends on the gifts you have to share. But there's, in general, two types of sharing opportunities. The first is what we would call educational. So these are prepackaged um, information sessions. And there what we'd like to do, is, and, and the information session could be anything from personal growth to budgeting to relationships um, to life skills. But it's a, a prepackaged piece of information that's useful to people. And there what we'd like to do is match up people with talents in those areas because they're going to deliver that information better than most. So the, the volunteer opportunity could be actually delivering a piece or just supporting the delivery with the group. The second uh, type would be skill development support. And that's where the individual has their own personal gift. It can be playing guitar, it can be gardening, it can be knitting, it can be anything. And that's what we're going to do in evenings and weekends, where we allow people to come in with certain gifts and people that want to connect them up with people that want to share those gifts. And um, like I say, the, the broader range, the better. Uh, if you have an interest, sign up. And, um, and we're going to have a volunteer meeting with everybody who has gifts and talk about how we move forward, what gifts we offer first, and, and as, the, as the opportunity grows. So everybody will have a kind of a say in what's going to happen. But um, think about it, uh, what your personal gifts, anything that gives you personal joy and fulfillment. And I will be out in the room as you exit if anybody has any questions or wants to sign our volunteer sheet. Um, I think slips the slide. I think that yeah. So I will have uh, volunteer sign-up sheets outside, and I'll be uh, hanging around for anybody who has any questions or wants to know more information. And then um, I can come back if that's if somebody wants me to, or we, we intend to have a volunteer day at the end of August. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Thanks, Tim. Um, bottom line, folks, the, the reason I asked Tim to come this morning is that it's a potential application of the sermon. And good preachers love good applications, right? It's an invitation, okay? It's not a must-do. We don't have Judaizers here, or people forcing you to do it. But it's a really cool idea, and I love it. The, this whole term, reparent. So many of us need to be reparented no matter where we are at in life, and we can kind of do it 
for each other and do it with each other. So, you just, we're just going to let that sit there. And uh, you, will you pray about it? We pray for finding freedom. We pray for Elam. That we find ways to work together, that we can be places of healing for people. Because that's why God has got us here where we are. All right? We're going to close the service this morning now um, with uh, a song called Jesus Be the Center. And the reason I asked uh, the, the team to play this this morning is that it's so easy for us to get pulled off center in life and pulled away from what's really important. And what I want us to reflect on this morning is exactly um, what kind of seeds are we sowing, right? What's showing up in the gardens? Weeds or good fruit? Think about that. And this is an opportunity for us to just do a serious inventory of our life, some serious scrutiny, examination, and think, okay, Lord, if there's stuff that I need you to help me pull out of the garden and replace it with good stuff, now is a perfect opportunity to do that. Jesus, this week I pray that you'd help us to sow good seeds. Sow to the Spirit and not to the self. Will you fill us now with your Spirit and send us out with joy and purpose and intentionality. In the name of Jesus, amen.